Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 18 through 25. John chapter 21, verses 18 through 25. The last part of John. Allow me to read this passage of Scripture. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this saying went out among the brethren, that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus had not said that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Let's bow together. Lord, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. Lord, we're thankful for the privilege we have to worship you today. Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to these truths. And Lord, help us to, to not only hear them, but to apply them to our lives and live them out each and every day. Lord, guide us through this study. Speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit fill us and use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is our true calling as a Christian? Our true calling as a Christian. Well, Jesus kind of summarized it in two words. Follow me. But what does that mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, it means the same to everybody, but it also means something different to everybody. It means the same because Jesus has called us to minister one to another to share the love of Christ with the lost around us, and to lift up and to encourage and to minister to those of the family of the faith. However, at the same time, it's different because God's called each and every one of us to be a different part of the body of Christ. He's given each of us different spiritual gifts. He's placed us in different places. He's using us in different ways. Just like, you know, you're... Your thumb is not the same as your big toe. We're all used in different ways. And so being a follower of Christ means to be the same in that general calling, but all at the same time to be different in how we go about doing those ministries. Each and every one of us needs to look at where God's placed us, what talents or spiritual gifts he's given us, and how he wants us individually to be used for his honor and glory. So this message today is simple. Follow me. Well, we look and we see we don't need to worry about what other people are doing. 
We don't need to examine our lives or compare them with anybody else. Because if we look at some people, we'll feel like failures. If we look at other people, we'll say, why aren't they doing more? All Jesus wants us to do is to follow him. So that's what we need to focus on today. Now, Jesus is still in the restoration process with Simon Peter. We know, as I shared last week, that sometime on the day of his resurrection, Jesus met with Peter. We don't know the details because it's not recorded in the scriptures. We know from two different passages that it is explicitly stated that Jesus did appear to Peter at that time. I assume, and I believe rightly so, that that was a time of Peter confessing his sinfulness of denying Christ and Jesus forgiving him of his sins. The reason why I believe this is because the next time Peter, Simon Peter is with Jesus is the time of restoration of his ministry. There is no confession of sin. There's no forgiveness mentioned there. So that had to have taken place earlier so that Simon, as Jesus referred to him last week in the scriptures, uh, was able to be restored in his ministry. Now there's one other thing that Jesus needs to restore. If you remember, just prior to Jesus' arrest, Simon Peter has stated, Lord, I will die for you. Hmm. Did he? Well, according to the scriptures, he had one great opportunity when he was in that courtyard and three different times his question, you're one of them, aren't you? Don't you know this man? Three different times he denied Jesus instead of worrying about the consequences and possibly even dying for Christ at that time. So what we need to look at is that Peter needs to renew his willingness to die for the Lord. Did you know that each and every one of us needs to have that same oath, that same commitment to the Lord? How do I know that? If you look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. We need to live each and every day as if already being crucified, already dead physically, mentally, but not spiritually. Because we now live in him because he now lives in us we know that his spirit his holy spirit dwells in us so we need to have been crucified with christ i did a funeral not too long ago and that was the favorite passage of the lady that i did the funeral for and i shared with the people who were left behind said when i talked to her before she passed away there was no fear of death she knew that it was coming she knew it was right around the corner but there's no fear of death I told them the reason why she did not fear death is because she had already died. She had already died to herself. She was not worried about what took place next. She knew in her heart that she belonged to Christ and that heaven waited for her. So here is what Jesus is dealing with. He knows that Peter had made that oath, that willingness to die for him, and yet he had failed him miserably. And so now it is time to reinstate that oath, that, that commitment to die for Christ. So we look and we see that, pick up verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you're old, 
you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Jesus is reminding Simon Peter that there was a time in his life that he made off his own decisions. He girded himself, he got up, he went, he did whatever he wanted to do, went wherever he wanted to go. Well, when Jesus called him to follow me, that changed a little bit. He, didn't, he was not supposed to go just anywhere he wanted to go. He's supposed to be following Jesus wherever he went. And after Jesus' death, he was also supposed to continue to follow the ministry of Christ and continue to, to serve that way. There's a word there that says to gird. Now, I don't know what translations you have, but the word gird here, which we find quite often in the scriptures, is not actually putting on clothes, even though that is where it's most commonly dealt with. To gird is to fasten. That's what the word actually means. It means to fasten. Uh, there's a scripture where it talks about the armor guard to, to gird up your loins. Well, what that meant was that a soldier would have a tunic on and it would drape, drape down to his knees. And to gird his loins meant to take the ends of that tunic and to pull it up and tuck it into his belt. His belt actually girded, fastened the tails of his tunic in place so he could have freedom of movement. Simple girding would be when they put on their outer coat, they would take a sash or belt and gird that in place so it wouldn't be flapping around. Just, just earlier, Peter was in a boat and John, the one Jesus loved, said, it is the Lord. And Peter had been stripped down to his loincloth and then he put on his outer garment and I doubt that he just jumped into the, to the Sea of Galilee without girding it first. Otherwise, it would have been a very difficult swim for him. So more than likely, he put a belt or a sash on to gird it in place. So the word gird means to fasten, not to don clothes. It's usually meant or dealt with in putting clothes on, but the word gird simply means to fasten. So why is that important? Because the last part of that says, you will stretch out your hands and someone will gird you. Does that mean he's going to stretch out his hands and somebody's going to put clothes on him? No. How do I know this? Because John says, this signifies by what kind of death you will glorify God. We don't know from the scriptures, but we do know from history. The ancient historians that had eyewitnesses that knew what happened during that time all claim that Peter was crucified. That someone stretched out his hands and fastened them to a cross. Now also the tradition of the historians says that Peter, knowing that he's going to be crucified, requested to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Now that's history. That's written history. So we know that what Jesus was saying to Simon Peter was, you once claimed that you would die for me and you failed by denying me three times. We've dealt with that. We've dealt with the forgiveness. We dealt with the restoration of ministry. But now, are you willing to die for me again? Are you 
willing to stretch out your hands and be fastened to a cross and die for me. Well, obviously, Peter came to the point in his life where he was, because that's exactly what took place in his life. He was crucified in the same manner as his Lord, only upside down. So to be girded was to be fastened to the cross. Now, according to the scriptures, we really don't know a whole lot about what happened to all the other apostles. James, we do know, was beheaded. That's really the only one that we know of scripturally. We know that uh, according to the traditions and to history, all but John are claimed to have been martyred for Christ. Some of them were crucified. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were sawn in half. Some of them were very gruesome things happened to them. But John did not die a martyr's death. And we'll get to that part in just a little while. But Peter had to be willing to die. Now what does that mean for us? Are we willing to die for Christ? Well, the first question is, going back to Galatians chapter, uh, where it says that we are crucified with Christ, we need to know in our hearts, are we already dead? Have we already died to self? Are we still living for Christ? Are we living in the flesh? Are we living in the spirit? If we have crucified ourselves with Christ, then we should not have any fear of death. Uh, the only problem that we have with death is leaving those that we love behind. It really is. You know, I knew when my parents passed away that they were in a much better place than I was, but yet I still cried, I still wept because I would no longer get to see them. I shared this Wednesday night. Wednesday's messages out of 1 Peter and what we're dealing with with John have been going hand in hand. And I, I shared, you know, I, I wasn't sad for them, I was sad for me. When you have those life experiences and the first thing you think about, I wish I could call my mom or dad, that's when we miss them. But I promise you, if you're a true child of God, when we breathe our last breath, it's going to be a whole lot better situation than we're in right now. So we should never fear death. But Jesus, after he says these things, and John clarifies that he is signifying by the type of death that Peter would die, he uses these two simple words. He said to Peter, follow me. Now, we dealt with this a week or two ago. We went back to Luke where we have that record of Jesus being in the fishing boat with them again. And he had been teaching along the shore, went out in the boat and taught from the boat, and then told them to go out to the deep waters and cast their net, and they caught a great fit, amount of fish. And when they realized who it was, Peter said, leave us. I'm not fit to be in your presence. But Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And from that day forward, the men left their nets, left their boats, and followed Christ. Jesus is now restoring that calling to follow me. Now, you would think that Peter would say, Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you. Let's get this going. Wherever you go, I will go. The problem is, Jesus is not going to be around to be followed. What Jesus is telling Peter is, Follow after me. Continue to do the work that I've called you to do. Well, here's a problem. 
Peter did something that we're all too capable of doing. He started looking around and John was behind him, the disciple who Jesus loved. How do we know this? Well, throughout the, uh, the book of John, he identifies himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And Peter even said, the one who leaned back on Jesus' bosom and asked, who is it that betrays you? We know from the other scriptures that that person was John. And so we know that he's referring to John. Now, last week when Jesus was restoring Simon to become Peter, to be a follower of Christ, to be back into that ministry, we assume that he did so with the other apostles and other disciples around him. Here it looks like they have separated themselves because it is only Peter and Jesus and following along behind was John. We don't know exactly why John was the only one behind them. We assume that so that he could be the eyewitness to what took place so he could record this in the scriptures. That's the only reason why I know. But Peter looked behind him and saw John and he knew that Jesus had this special relationship with John. And he said, Lord, what about him? What about him? Is he going to have to stretch out his hands and be fastened to a cross like you're telling me? Is he going to go through the same things that I will? Is his calling upon his life the same that you're calling upon me? Comparisons are always detrimental to our faith. It is so easy to look at other people and say, well, I'm doing a whole lot better than they are spiritually. Look at all the things that I'm doing. Or, man, that guy puts me to shame. I wish I was more faithful like he or she. And let me be honest. It doesn't just happen in the pews. It happens in the pulpit as well. I mean, for years, I got up on Sunday morning before I went to church. Adrian Rogers was on television. And that deep, rich, melodious voice that just kind of vibrated through the building. I said, man, I wish I had a voice like that. And yet I can barely make it through 30 minutes without fading out. And for years I've uh, read Max Licato and he's on uh, YouTube quite a bit or uh, Facebook. And he can paint pictures with words better than anybody I've ever met or heard of. I go, man, I wish I could do that. It's not my giftedness. Have y'all been guilty of some of these same things? Looking at the lives, the spiritual lives of other people and saying, you know, I really admire that person. Or, I wish they would do more. That's not our job. We're not here to judge. We're not here to merit the good or the bad of another person's life. We're here to simply follow Christ in whatever means and manner that he has given us to do. So we look and we see that Jesus simply said, don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. And he even uses this statement. Let me just read it. If, verse 22, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? If I want John not to die on a crucified cross, if I don't want John to be beheaded or any other form of martyrdom, if I want him to stay alive until I come again, what's that to do with you? 
Why would that change my calling upon your life? Now, John even goes through the details and says, you know, that kind of got taken out of proportion. It got broadcast around that I wouldn't die, at least until Jesus came again. And he says, that's not the case. That's hypothetical speaking on Jesus' part. So John himself clarifies that. But here's what Jesus is saying. Follow me. Get your eyes off of other people and get your eyes on me. And then Jesus goes, you follow me. Verse 22. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Notice the imperative. You, Peter, follow me. Matter of fact, it's that perfect tense where it says, you, Peter, keep on following me. Continuous action. Quit looking at others. Quit examining their lives. Quit worrying about what's going to happen to them or what's not going to happen to them. And focus on me. Follow me. You know, it's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. We struggle with following Christ because we tend to get up in the mornings and we kind of set our own precedence of what we want to accomplish today, how we're going to accomplish it, where we're going to go, when we're going to go, all these things. We like to be in control of our lives, aren't we? And we fail to start off our morning by saying, Lord, let me surrender anew to you. Whatever is your will for my life today, may I be obedient to that. Guide me through your Holy Spirit. Show me what you desire me to accomplish, what you desire me to do, how you want me to minister, what you want me to say, how I can share the love of Christ with others. Show me, Lord, today how I can serve you. Let me put everything else on hold. If I need to continue to do the things I need to do, so be it. But if I need to stop everything I'm doing so that I can serve you, then may it be so. That's what Jesus is saying. You, Steve, keep following me. And that's what he's saying to each and every one of us. Keep following me. Jesus, by state, using that word you, you, Peter, was laser-focused on Peter. And he wanted Peter to be laser-focused on him. He did not want there to be any distractions. And Jesus knew that him looking back at John was a distraction. So he says, Peter, get your eyes back on me. I'm the only one that matters in the entire universe. I am the only focus you're to have. Same for us. Get your eyes off of others. Quit worrying about what others do or don't do. Focus on Jesus and his calling upon our lives. That's what we need to do. Now, John identifies himself. Throughout the entire Word of God, uh, throughout the entire book of John, John never identifies himself. You have to compare some of the situations where John says, the disciple who Jesus loved did this, and you go back to Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and you find out that who did this was John. The one who leaned upon Jesus' breast and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? If you go back into the other Gospels, that was John. Now, John basically 
we know is the writer of this gospel. And he finally identifies that this is me. Because when Simon Peter basically was talking about him, he says, and this is the disciple who is now testifying. This disciple whom Jesus loved is the one who is now testifying, the one who is writing this scripture. So we know that it is John, the beloved disciple of Jesus. Now, why was John writing this gospel? Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written their gospels. They were already out there. So why was there a need for one more gospel? Well, there's several different reasons. John being the youngest, wrote his much later in life, and he was also dealing with some of the schisms that were already taking place in Christianity. He understood that there were some that did not believe that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah, and he wanted to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, that he died, that he rose from the dead, and that he lives again. He wanted the world around him to know that there was no mistake. That's why he used the signs, those specific miracles, and the ones that John used pointed to saying that only God could do these things. That's why John, on numerous occasions, used that great I am statement, where it was Jesus saying, I am God. He wanted everybody to know that Jesus is who he said he was, Son of God, God in the flesh. And so John became that eyewitness, but he did not write an all-exclusive history of Jesus. That's what he says. If he did, he basically said, I suppose that the world's not big enough to hold all the books that it would contain. Not only what Jesus did in those few three, three and a half years, but what he's continuing to do. How many volumes would it take to write all the things that Jesus has done in your life, in my life? If we started going back from our childhood to today, how many ways has Jesus intervened in our life? How many ways has he made himself known? How many ways has he guided us and used us for his honor and glory? How many books would it take just for our lives? Just think of writing all the different ways that Jesus has impacted lives during those few years that he had his earthly ministry and from that day forward some 2,000 years later. Goodness, how many volumes would be written? And so John closes with that. And he's basically saying, I'm the one who is this eyewitness. And he even says, and my witness is true. It's indisputable. I was there. I heard every word, and I am writing according to what I saw and what I heard. So, Simon Peter met with Jesus on the day of his resurrection. My opinion is that he confessed his sins and Jesus forgave him. Then, weeks later, they are at the Sea of Galilee fishing. Jesus is on the shore. When they come ashore, Jesus gets with Simon and restores his ministry. Here, Jesus shares with him what type of death he would give or he would have that would glorify the Lord. Basically, by saying that is Jesus restoring 
Peter's once given oath that he was willing to die for him. And knowing that we too need to have that same resolution in our own lives. We need to be willing to die for the Lord. Now does that mean if we're willing to die for the Lord that we will die a martyr's death? Probably not. But it basically means we are willing to pay whatever it costs to serve the Lord. If it means being ridiculed a little bit, so be it. If it means being persecuted, so be it. If it means physically, mentally, emotionally suffering for the Lord, so be it. It means doing whatever we need to do to be found faithful to the Lord, even dying. So we know that the restoration has taken place. Here's the question. Let's put ourselves in Simon Peter's shoes. Are our sins forgiven? Do we need to have a time of confessing our sins before the Lord, receiving His wonderful gift of forgiveness? Have we failed in our ministry? Have we failed to continue to follow the Lord in doing what He's called us to do? To share the love of Christ with the lost world around us. To continue to lift up the fellowship of Christ. Are we doing the ministry that He's called us to do? Are we using the spiritual gifts that He's given us so that we can be used of God by His Spirit to show the world around us the love of Christ and His passion and His love for us? Are we doing that? Have we been restored that way? Are we, be, are we willing to die? Or have we gotten sidetracked? Have we let the world around us sidetrack us? Thinking about what we want to do, how we want to gird ourselves and go where we want to go instead of following Christ. Well, the answer to all these is three simple words. You, me, follow Jesus. We each must make that determination. Are we individually going to follow Christ without any reservation? That's really the crux of this message. Follow me. You follow me. It's imperative. There's no question about it. There's no doubt that Jesus does not want all of us to follow him. Some 50 years ago, the Lord came into my life. I did not understand all that it meant to follow Christ. Not at that age. I think I do now. It doesn't always mean getting to do what you want to do. There's a different qualifier on life when we're a follower of Christ. We don't live the way that the rest of the world lives. We shouldn't anyway. We need to live separated from the world. That's a part of being a follower of Christ. We're to be strangers in this world around us, aliens, that this world is not our home, that heaven is now our home. We need to live in a different way than the rest of the world. The rest of the world needs to look at us and say, you truly are different. You live by a different standard than I live by. Whether that's appeasing or appealing, I don't know. But we need to be found faithful in living for Christ. We need to see an opportunity that the Lord gives us. What does it cost to be a true child of God? Well, what does it cost? 
Does it mean dying a martyr's death? Does it mean being led to go overseas to share the ministry of Christ? Does it mean being imprisoned so that you can be a minister to those in prison? Does it mean building a relationship with your neighbor or co-worker so that you can share the love of Christ and the message of salvation with them? It can mean so many different things. Remember, to follow Christ means the same to everyone. To share his love with the lost world around us, to minister to the church, and differently because Jesus has created each and every one of us differently. He's given you and I different talents and abilities. He's placed us in different situations of life, different places. He puts us around different people. And we are simply to say, Lord, I'm following you. Wherever you have put me, in whatever situation I find myself, I want you to use me. That's what Jesus is telling Simon Peter. You follow me. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we know we're complete failures. We admit it. Lord, there's so many times that we have failed you, that we have denied you, that we have not lived up to our one time given oath that we'd be a follower of Christ. Lord, today we stand accused and condemned. Lord, because of your great love, you simply desire us to confess our sinfulness. And Lord, you are so faithful. Not only forgive us of our sins, but you cleanse us of all that unrighteousness. And Lord, you cover us with the righteousness of Christ. So that you no longer see our sins, but you see the righteousness of Christ when you look upon us. And Lord, in the ways that we have failed you in our ministry, Lord, we pray for restoration. We pray that you will help us to answer the question, do you love me? Do you love me? How far will our love go? Do we just love you, Lord, in a relationship way because of your love for us? Well, Lord, is it truly unconditional or that we're willing to die, face whatever cost there may be to follow you? Lord, help us to hear that calling each and every day of our lives. Come, follow me. Lord, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.